0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look to His Word now. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, we've come as far as chapter 5 here tonight. We made our way into parts of chapter 5 last week. We're going to do a quick review of uh, the first 11 verses there that we considered last week, and then we'll go ahead and finish out the chapter here tonight. We'll finish the letter tonight and and next week make our way into 2 Thessalonians. As we come here uh, to this part of Scripture. Uh, last week was exciting as we considered much about the the end times and uh, the comfort of Christ's coming, uh, the significance of the rapture and Jesus's return for his church and how encouraging and comforting that should be for us. And here in the beginning of chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, Paul continues to consider the topic that we refer to as the day of the Lord. And so Paul We'll consider that here briefly tonight, but I will tell you that uh, as far as the time of the tribulation and Christ's second coming, though we've considered some of that thus far, uh, we'll dive into that again in our study of 2 Thessalonians in chapters 1 and 2. Um, Tonight, what we find through the majority of the chapter in terms of what we consider here is much of Paul's instruction to the church as he closes out the letter as to how we are to live our lives. He's been dealing with that throughout the letter thus far. But here as he closes it out, out, he very much makes an emphasis on these are the things that you are supposed to do. And so, Christians, we need to pay attention to this here tonight because it's wonderful when we come to passages of Scripture like this, no differently than when we closed out Hebrews, when Scripture is very clear with us, even at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians as well. Here's the things you're supposed to do. It's easy for us to go to look at this and look at our lives and to say, Am I living my life this way? And if not, to really evaluate that and to see what would we what would we do about that? And so let's go ahead and read the first section here together to give us context once again, and, uh, and we'll pray once more. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse one. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. If you would, just agree with me in prayer once more. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us, Lord, and gives us understanding of your word. And Father, we would pray that you'd bless our time in it here tonight, bless our study of it. Again, Lord, may it be fruitful for us here tonight. May we apply it to our lives. May you, Lord, bring transformation in our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, as we come to this chapter here, chapter 5, What's implied for us from chapter 4 is that there was a question that was really asked as we came to the end of chapter 4. As Paul, in addressing the concern on the part of the Christians there in Thessalonica, that the rapture, the Lord Jesus, his coming to earth to gather up his church, there was confusion on their part, really regarding a couple of things. One is, what about those who have died? as he refers to it in chapter four, those who have fallen asleep, uh, there was concern that somehow they would miss the return of Christ. We'll see even later in second Thessalonians that uh, there's also, or was a belief amongst them. There was a false teaching that was being uh, sort of put out throughout the church that somehow they had already in fact missed the return of Christ and that they were now living during the time that Paul now refers to as the day of the Lord, that they were in the time of the tribulation and to them, it seemed like maybe that would make sense because they were beginning to experience a lot of persecution. Uh, it was difficult to be a believer at this time period, uh, but certainly in Thessalonica as well. And so there was confusion there. And if you remember then, Paul is saying, listen, as far as those who have died, you're going to see them again. He gives them encouragement. Paul writes to them from the perspective of a, pa- of a pastor. We might wish that Paul was writing from the perspective of a a theologian, of one who would lay out for us every detail of the end times, every detail of Christ's return so that we could sit here now and go, okay, all my questions have been answered. We know exactly how this is going to go. But Paul didn't do that. Paul was writing to them as a pastor to a people who were concerned about the loved ones who had died in Christ. And he encourages them saying, even if you look back at, at, at chapter four and verses 13 and 14, those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So this was a welcomed relief to them that they would in fact see their loved ones who had died again, uh, that they they weren't at risk of, of missing the return of Christ. Inevitably, though, what comes from this is a question essentially of when is this going to happen? right don't don't we all find ourselves asking similar questions when we consider the end times especially even now it's difficult for us now to see all these different things that are happening in our world and to think lord this is really significant There's a lot going on in our world today that causes me to look to Scripture and to say, these things seem to be aligning prophetically. I think that we're getting close to that time when Jesus would come back. Certainly, that's my hope. And and if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves going, oh, I wonder when? Lord, when's it going to be? And so then Paul writes at the beginning of this chapter, so we have this implied question of when as he then transitions from uh, talking about the return of Jesus Christ for the church, as he talks about the rapture of the church, he then comes into verse 1 here and says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He's saying, you understand this, you know this, there's no need for me to write to you because this particular time is going to come as a thief in the night. He's saying, no one knows exactly when this is going to be. It's as if Paul says, I taught you this when I was there. You remember this. And so for us, even still as Christians today, of course, many years later, still anticipating the return of Christ, There's no need that anyone should write to us regarding exactly when that time is because we should just simply be living in anticipation of His return. This is what we call the doctrine of imminency. It means that Jesus' return is that next event. There's nothing else that needs to happen. It literally could happen at any moment. So for us, it's not about knowing when, but rather that He is coming. Right? It's not about knowing when he's coming, but knowing that he's coming. And if we have that mindset, if we truly go, he is coming, we understand that to be true, then that is going to affect, or should, how we live our lives. And so Paul is reinforcing this for them. But then here he says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord. It's important for us to understand, well, what is that day? Because we could think, well, that day maybe is when he returns for his church, or maybe that day is when he comes in his glorious appearing, his glorious second coming, the great day of the Lord. could be that day. And what Paul is referencing here when he says the day of the Lord is really that time, that time in between that time in between when Jesus comes for his church and when he comes in his glorious second coming, when he pours out his wrath upon the earth. It's that time, so certainly the rapture is a part of that, really serving as the commencement of that, the beginning of that time, but it's then the time that will follow the tribulation, and it will come upon people as a thief in the night, and no one knows when that time is coming. Now, remember, those two events... The return of Christ for His church, the rapture of the church, and His glorious second coming, we believe, is, are two distinctly different events, with the day of the Lord or His wrath being poured out on the earth, the time of the tribulation, falling in between that time. Um, if you want to go ahead and bring up that first slide there, we talked about this last week, um, and you'll see a little bit of kind of a timeline here. Actually, if you can go to the other one, I'll go to that one next. Yeah, we talked a little bit last time about the 70 weeks of Daniel. If we were to go back into Daniel, uh, we see Daniel's prophecy. And in Daniel's prophecy, he talks about various numbers of sevens, 70 times seven. Each of those sevens being a seven-year period of time. So 70, 70 periods of seven years. You see there on the chart, uh, from the time that, that that this prophecy commenced, which really comes in Nehemiah chapter 2, from the time that Artaxerxes gave the word for Nehemiah to go and to begin rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem in 445 BC, you have the various periods of time that have already passed. So you had the first seven sevens, or 49 years, uh, that were completed, and then another 62 sevens for 434 years, giving us a total of 483 years, or 69 periods of seven years that have already been completed in biblical history, okay? What's remaining, or what that's brought us up to then, is the church age in which we are living right now. We're living in the church age right now, and until the time of the fullness of the Gentiles is completed, the time we're right now in Israel in their blindness, uh, which is for our sake, for our benefit, okay? Okay? the gospel has gone forth to the Gentiles. God's program of salvation is still being accomplished, is still being carried out. And there will come a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, where Jesus will return for his church. He will rapture his church. And that's when the time of uh, Jacob's trouble, but also the completion of God's plan of salvation for his chosen people, Israel, Will commence. So at the end of the church age, you have the rapture, as we talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, which goes into the period there of the tribulation. That's the day of the Lord that will come upon people as a thief in the night. As Scripture says here, for when they say peace and safety, and notice here again the change in pronoun here, it's gone from you, it's gone from us to they, to another people here. This is unbelievers. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, again, notice the contrasting there in verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So he's referencing here, you're not going to be overtaken by this time. So then the tribulation, which is seven years, that's the remaining period, that's the remaining seven that needs to be completed, seven years. Uh, and you will find, as we consider this in Second Thessalonians, we'll look at aspects of Revelation as well, where the tribulation is split up into two different times. Uh, you have the first three and a half years, and then the second three and a half years. The second three and a half years, uh, for lack of a better way of describing, it, is going to be worse than the first. It's the second three and a half years where God truly pours out His uh, his wrath upon the earth. And that it's during that time, or right at, at that in-between time, when the Antichrist is revealed and sets himself up uh, uh, upon the throne in the temple. Okay, so at the end of the tribulation, at the end of those seven years, then comes the second coming, the second coming of Christ. That time, and this is and part of the reason why we believe that these are two different events is because here it's referencing the fact, and even Jesus said this, that no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, here Paul says that you, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The thing is, is, as we look at Revelation, as we look at Daniel, <clears throat> as we look at Ezekiel even, we have signs of his second coming. We have very clear indicators of different things that are going to happen during the time of the tribulation. That's what tells us that these are two separate events because if they were not, one could argue, well, I, I have reasonable confidence of when his second coming is going to happen because it's going to fall after these events during the tribulation, okay? So it's the rapture that comes first where nobody knows, it's imminent, it could happen at any moment. Then the tribulation commences and we have a clear understanding, relatively speaking, of the events that are going to transpire during those seven years, which lead up to his second coming. At which point, everyone will see that. That will not be in secret. That will not be, that is the moment when uh, you're familiar with Jesus coming as a uh, on a white horse. He's, he's coming in, in judgment As you see there, that's the battle of Armageddon. As we see in Revelation 19, he's coming with a sword, a sword protruding from his mouth. And uh, he is going to really quite quickly wipe out his enemies at that time, which ushers in the kingdom age, a thousand years. The thousand year reign or the millennial reign, if you recall from last week, and again, we're just doing some review here, is is really about his covenant with Israel. It's, it's both the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, meaning that Israel has yet to ever occupy the land that was promised to them in its entirety. And the Davidic covenant is for the forever throne, for the descendant of David to truly sit on an eternal throne and rule over his people, which, of course, that is Jesus during that time. Where's the church at this time? Where are we? We are with him, ruling with him. We come with him. And so the rapture takes us up. First, those who have died and died, they're asleep, is that euphemism is used there. Uh, Wonderful euphemism for death for a believer, because we know you'll wake again. And uh, they're caught up first. Then believers who are alive at that time, we meet the Lord in the air. We go to be with him in heaven through the time of the tribulation and come with him at his glorious second coming for both the battle of Armageddon as well as to rule with him in the millennial reign. At the end of those thousand years, uh, Satan is loosed. He's defeated once and for all and cast into hell, into the lake of fire. And the Lord ushers in his new heaven and new earth. It's at that time also, though, where we have uh, the great white throne judgment. We dealt with a lot of this in the study of Revelation. You can find that online. And again, we're going to dive into some of this, uh, specifically aspects of the tribulation in the Antichrist, as Paul deals with it in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, okay? there's a lot there. There's different opinions, as we know, okay? So, as a church, what I teach in terms of in Calvary Chapel, we believe, clearly you've heard now, in the rapture of the church, and we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. You could be a pre-trib, you could be a, so you could be a rapture here, which is what we teach, You could be a mid-trib, that it happens right here after three and a half years, or you could have some that are post-trib, okay? We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church based off of our interpretation of Scripture. Again, going back to the fact that they seem like very different, distinctly different events. Furthermore, in the book of Revelation, the church seems to be present. You've got the letters to the churches in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the church is no longer there. That's the period at which you see God's wrath beginning to be poured out. But yet the church is not there. You don't see the church again until you get into Revelation 19 as it begins to talk about Jesus coming back and his glorious second coming and the church with him. That gives us an indication. That's why I believe the church isn't there during that time. So I believe in a pre tribulation rapture of the church. And, and we're going to consider that here shortly as Paul says you're not appointed to wrath. Even in, in Revelation in chapter 3, verse 10, he gives promise to the church there that you will be, that, that I will spare you from the hour that is to come. Okay. So <clears throat> we teach that, but, you know, some people do take the stance of a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. And then we also believe in a literal millennial reign, a literal thousand years, because that's what scripture tells us. Okay. So we take the literal approach to that. And with that, we believe in a premillennial return of Christ, that he comes at the beginning of that millennial reign. Others may take a, a post-millennial view, and those who have a post-millennial view will often have will often take the rapture of the church, and his second coming, and consider those really one event where you kind of, where you go up and kind of come right back down with Christ, but you're coming basically after a period of uh, his wrath already being poured out, so you've kind of been. You've, you've gone through that period of time. You've gone through the tribulation and then we're taken out and come back to sort of usher in his new heaven and new earth. And so again, there's different views on this one rather than us really getting caught up in, in, in and there's a lot of debate over it. Right. And I do feel pretty strongly on my own views on it. Here's the most important thing. What is that? Jesus is coming back. If anybody says, I don't know about that that's when you can go, okay, you've, you've lost me. We're done. Okay. Somebody can say, hey, I, I lean more mid-trib. I lean more post-trib. And we could go, okay, that's fine. Let's go ahead and agree to disagree. If they say Jesus isn't coming back, well, then you've lost me entirely, right? That's the thing we need to focus in on. And those are the things that we should have unity on. Within the church, we should all be able to say, hey, praise the Lord. We believe that Jesus is coming back. When exactly that happens, we can debate as long as he's coming for us and we have confidence in that. That's what our hope ultimately is in. But I would say that scripture does give us some pretty good confidence and also then reason to hope that we are not going to be a part of that wrath. That would be even more reason for us to be hopeful, for us to be confident, for us to be comforted by these words, to know, man, the judgment that's coming upon the world, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to go through that. That to me is encouragement. And I find it hard to believe that if we were appointed for that, if we were to go through that time, that Paul would have given us a little bit more, sort of a, hey, put on your big boy pants. It's about to get real around here, right? But he doesn't say that. He says, hey, you're 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 going to be gone. Encourage people, comfort people. And uh, so that certainly is what my hope is in. Uh, you can go to the next slide there. This one's a bit of a, or the previous slide, whichever that was. These are the ones I mentioned last week. We'll make these available for you so you can see these because um, I know it's a little tough to see that. But this gives you the distinction between the two events, both the rapture and the second coming. And I can actually give you one that has scripture references next to each of those so that you can go into scripture and see, okay, these seem like distinctly different events based off of how scripture uh, describes it. Okay. So 15 differences there between the rapture and second coming. Each of those come from uh, Tim LaHaye in his um, Bible prophecy encyclopedia. Uh, And so you can also take a look at that. It's a pretty neat resource. All right. So Paul is contrasting these two things here, trying to give encouragement to the church saying, listen, this this is them and this is us. This is what's going to happen for us. And so he then says to them in verse six, therefore, remember, whenever we see therefore, we need to understand what it's there for. And and this is building. This is building off of how he's encouraged them. He's saying, listen, these people are in darkness and the day will overtake them, but it's not going to overtake you. So therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night night, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here he's, he's really challenging the church now. And remember, this is a young church. These are young believers. He didn't spend much time with them, but yet he gave them a whole lot of content. He gave them really deep theological truths to consider. He wasn't shying away from, from dealing with these things. And now he's basically asking them, are you awake? It's as if he was standing before us today saying, church, are you awake? Are you paying attention? Consider uh, Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, we have this other exhortation from from Paul, where he says in Romans uh, 13 verses 11 through 14, and do this. Listen, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Over and over again, we are challenged in Scripture regarding how we are living our lives. Are we living in anticipation of his return? Are we considering uh, the fact that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? If if Paul at this particular time was living in absolute anticipation of Christ's return, telling them it's soon, how much sooner is it for us today? Now, this has certainly caused some people throughout time to say, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Right? Like it's it's been thousands of years now. What's going on with this? And that's why it's so exciting for us. Even though it's difficult, it can be exciting for us to consider the events that are happening in our world today. And to really look at that and say, wow, there there are signs that it is truly the, the end times. Probably the most significant one to have happened in more recent history is what? Israel. The fact that Israel is a nation once again, and now you're seeing such a regathering of the nation of Israel, of them returning to their homeland, that was a significant part of Bible prophecy that needed to be accomplished before we could confidently say Jesus is going to come back, and that's happened. So now we are placed within a moment in history where, again, going back to doctrine of imminency, there's nothing left, biblically speaking, that we can understand that would need to happen for Christ to return. So these are exciting times for us. Uh, There's a good site out there. I can't assert, there's so much content on it. I I certainly can't vouch for everything that's on there. We need to do our jobs to test it right. But I would tell you, if you go to rapture, raptureready.com, raptureready.com. It's been a source that's been out for a long time. What this guy does a really good job of is on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, chronicling different uh, events that are going on around the world, taking different new I mean, just surveying all the news that's out there and pulling it together with a prophetic lens. And he gives a daily update. Here's things happening in the world right now that speak to Bible prophecy. And he even goes through and he has a chart where basically he scores out different aspects of Bible prophecy and, and what we're seeing in our world today. And he gives it an overall score. And I think the highest score you can have is like a 189 based off of his chart. That would say like, get ready, buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Right, we're sitting at a 185 right now, based off of his chart. That's exciting. That gives me goosebumps. Okay, now I, we just still don't know when it is. I mean, he's not, and he's not saying it. Boy, would he ruin his sight if he said this is it. Everybody, all right, we're done with this guy. Okay, he, so he's not that foolish. He's not going to go there. But he's just he's looking at all sorts of different things, and he tracks everything from earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, disease. Uh, stock market. I mean, he he tracks all this stuff. You can go, you can see his whole, his whole uh, key for how he numbers these things out. And again, I mean, we are on, what's the highest threat level? Red? Like, here we go, get ready. It's imminent. And it's exciting. And remember, Paul's exhortation to them is, encourage people, comfort people. Because inevitably, when we say these things, I know, I, I mention this every time, there's some of us that go, ooh, right? What Oh, what does that mean? There, there's the unknown. There's the anxiety that may come along with that. And guys, we, we need not because what's been described to us over and over again is the one who loves us more than we could ever even possibly imagine or fathom that he's coming for us. He's coming for us and all will be made right. We need that. So here he says, are you awake? Are you awake? And he says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the, look what he says here, the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What two things is he recognizing here in terms of, hey, believers, this is what you need to be considering, your heart and your mind, or your heart and your mind, right? Do you have a heart for Him? Are you putting on the breastplate of faith and love? Is your heart right as it relates to the things of the world today? As it relates to our Lord? Have you put on the helmet the hope of salvation? Are you taking captive every thought that comes in your mind? Surrendering it to Christ? You see, we've got a world and we've got an enemy that are after our hearts and our minds. And so we need to put on our armor. And here it is in verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Again, God did not appoint us to wrath. As I mentioned there, it's in Revelation also, in Revelation 3, verse 10. In Revelation three, ten. Because you have kept my commands to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So again, not to overstate this here, but some people look at this and say, well, yeah we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to, to, to judgment. We're not as believers going to spend eternity in hell. And, and that's how some interpret that particular verse. But if I reference that against what we see there in Revelation 3.10, that clearly here, God is Jesus is communicating to the church, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's about to come on all who are on the earth. And then to see that the church really disappears from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19, and then you align it with what Paul's saying here and encouraging the believers, that all those things together suggest to me, man, we're going to be gone for the time of the tribulation. That's what my hope is in. I fully believe that Paul would have done a better job to prepare them as, as their literal concern here was, did we miss it? Because of the suffering that we're enduring, are we in it now? And you would have thought he would have said, well, yes, you are. You're, you are enduring it. Or when, when this time comes, it's going to be worse than what you're experiencing now. So prepare. And, and to the analogy that I provided last week, and you know, if we're, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're not meant to go through some purifying process because that's been accomplished for us. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb. He's coming to get his bride, not to put his bride through torture. Right. So let's hope in that. And let's comfort one another with that that we obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, verse 10, that whether we wake, listen, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If there's a verse in scripture that should cause us to go, man, I don't fear death. Whether you're alive, whether you're asleep, right? We have Jesus. That's the promise to us. We have Jesus. And, And when he comes for us, as scripture tells us, we will forever be with him, never apart again. So what happens at this point then, as we get to verse 10, is really what Paul's done here is he's answered their question. When will this happen? And he said, you don't need to know when, you just need to know that. He is coming, trust in that, live your life in anticipation of that. And now then, as Paul begins to close out the letter, he shifts. He shifts away from those questions, and he does what he often does in his letter, where he says, Now I'm going to tell you how you should live your life. Here's the things that you should do. As you consider your life, Christian, as you look at your own life, it should look like this. Now here's what I want us to do at this point. Because again, we're not going to come back then really to some of the end time stuff uh, for at least a week, maybe two weeks. Now I want us to shift in our minds. And as we look at this last part of this letter, I want us to think in terms of, again, the world in which we're living right now specifically the times in which we're seen. I want you to think back even to my message from Sunday. The challenge there for us really to be humble, to set aside our opinions, to set aside some of our own experiences and our own beliefs, our own blind spots, and to really go, man, what does it mean to esteem others as better than myself? What does it mean to really be willing to go, I want to learn, I want to hear, I want to know, I want to understand And I want you to think about all of those things and think about those challenges as as we have here, very specific exhortation to what the church should look like and how the church should act. Here in verse 11, he says, and he kind of, he's still sort of closing out, therefore comfort each other, that therefore connects us to that previous thought, right? Therefore comfort each other, edify one another, that means build each other up, just as you also are doing. So he recognizes here, you guys are, you're doing this, okay? You're doing this. And here's the thing, we can comfort each other with these words because when we know the outcome, we can enjoy the present, right? A lot of you know, I've shared this before. It's it's no secret. I'm not ashamed. I Google the end of movies before I watch them. Yeah, right? I know. I know those shaking heads. How can you possibly do that? It's just wrong. Yeah, if it's a stressful movie, listen, is there enough stress in life as it is? Can I get an amen on that? Why do I want to sit at home and put in a movie and what's going to happen? Like there's enough of that in real life. If I'm going to watch the movie, I want to just enjoy it. Okay. How do I enjoy it? By knowing the ending. Folks, I'm telling you, it's biblical. Okay. (laughs) I'm right on this issue. Okay. I am right. Because there's no way that we could truly comfort each other with the end of time. And all this stuff, like, hey, the world's going to end. Have joy, right? If that was it, you'd be like, oh, what? But if I tell you everything I've told you, look, Jesus is coming for us. and He's going to take us to a far better place. And this is how it's going to go. Then you can go, well, praise the Lord. Now I don't need to worry about that. I can just enjoy the moment. I can enjoy the present. Okay? So there's a, there's a principle here. And so he brings this to a close, and then he says, and now I'm going to urge you to do several things. And he gives for us three different groups that he's going to consider here. The first one he gives us, and he's going to give us really three things to consider in this first first chunk, is really about the relationship from pastor to the people and people to the pastor. Then he's going to go into the second one, and he's going to talk about, here's about just relationships throughout the church, all the relationships within the church. And then the final one he's going to consider is, and here's between you and God. He's going to focus on two relationships that are sort of on the horizontal, and then he's going to focus on the vertical. And so he jumps into this as he's closing out his letter. In verse 12, let's go ahead and read verses 12 and 13. He says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Three things that he really wants them to look at here as it pertains to those who are in leadership positions over them. And, and this really tells us a couple of things just right off the bat. One, leadership is biblical. Leadership has been there from the beginning of time. God, God has, has created individuals. He's created them male and female, distinctly male and female. He's given uh, positions and roles and authority. And, and, and even here in this early church, this shows us here that there was pastors that were put in place, okay? And he says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who, three things, who labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Three things that he calls out about these particular leaders. Labor really speaks to the fact that they're working. They're at work. Recognize the fact that they are working. Uh, Secondly, that they are over you in the Lord. That leadership is biblical. And and so there are people who are going to oversee, they're going to manage, they're going to direct, they're going to care for. I mean, this word over you is really about leadership and, and it can speak to those two things from a management perspective, but also an aspect of protection. Okay. Go back to the study of Hebrews. Uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews almost said, Paul, show my leaning there a little bit, huh? You look at Hebrews and and there too, the author said, respect those who are over you because they watch out for your souls. Okay. So here he says, consider their work, consider their leadership, as well as the fact that they admonish you. And this word admonish really means exhort. This is about preaching the word. This is about, in some cases, uh, coming up to someone, and and really the the more literal definition we get from this is to put in the mind or to warn about a particular issue. And so sometimes, yes, there's also the necessity for those who are in leadership, uh, me being one of them, but the elders within this church as well, to come and to say, hey, listen, I see something in your life. I perceive that there's sin or, or there's, I want to warn you about something, or I, I've got to check in my spirit about something. And so here, right off the bat, as he's addressing how they are to function, how they are to live, Paul here says, I want you to be at peace with one another. And so in order to do that, it's important that you recognize those who lead you and consider the things that they're called to. Um, and then he, he says, esteem them very highly, which means consider and recognize the work and the calling. Respect it. And furthermore, rest in it. Be content in it so that you can have peace. But here he mentions, esteem them very highly in love. And what I, what I really appreciate about this is the fact that he's saying, listen, there's a relationship that's intended to be here. You know, make this about me for a second. God forbid that we would ever be in a situation really where there couldn't be a relationship. Far too often, there are situations where pastors are sort of untouchable right there's too much of a distinction between them and the rest of the church, and that ought not to be the case. listen as I read through this i I know and even reading a couple of commentaries on this particular passage here I mean you can sense in many cases the the burden of a pastor as it pertains to deficiencies in this area when there's strife with the body and hey praise the Lord, I don't come before you this evening going. Hey, I'm not coming to you saying, man, I'm really struggling in this area. This is a great body of believers. I feel blessed. I feel blessed. And you guys are as gracious as it can be. The number of times that some of you will reach out to me, and and the caveat's always there, I know you're super busy. (laughs) Listen, hey, thanks for being considerate of that, but I'm sort of to be busy with the very things you're reaching out to me about. That's kind of the job of a pastor, right? And so there is to be a relationship there in love. So he deals with pastor and people first, and that goes both ways, okay? This is about our relationship with one another. Then he goes into really all relationships within the church, and it's here that he gives us, uh, in this section, he gives us six different things that we're really to consider here. In verse 14, let's go ahead and read uh, verse 14 uh, through 15, 14 and 15 together. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Guys, that's a description of how the church is to live and operate. All of us, one to another. He says, we exhort you. Again, I'm challenging you here, brethren. First off, warn those who are unruly. This could be translated differently as warn those who are irresponsible. Warn those who are just sort of being flippant within the church, those who are being foolish. Okay, we are called, and listen, the pastoral role, though it's implied in the first section, here this is about everybody, which means it's not just for the leaders in the church to be willing to warn somebody about the way that they're living their life. That means that we can do that one to another. So that's the first thing he mentions, be willing to warn those who are being irresponsible. And that could be in a number of different things. Are they, being, are, they being, are they playing with fire when it comes to sin? Do you see things in their life where it's like, man, you're about to get burned? Are they being sort of lazy in their faith? Are they being flippant towards things at church and being involved and spending time in the word? What, it, this could be a number of different things, but they're just being uh, irresponsible as it relates to their life with the Lord. That's the first one. The second one is he says, comfort the faint hearted. This word comfort here really means encourage and faint-hearted could also be translated discouraged, worried, fearful. You think there's anybody feeling that right now within the church? Feeling worried? Feeling fearful? Feeling discouraged? Feeling burdened? We are called to encourage one another. We're called to encourage. So we're to we're to warn those who are being unruly, we're to encourage those who are discouraged. Thirdly, he says, uphold the weak. Now, certainly, Paul could be referencing somebody who's dealing with physical infirmity, but I don't think that's really in view here. I think it's more about spiritual weakness. We were in Romans earlier, in Romans 13. If you look at uh, Romans 14, we have some similar encouragement there. In Romans 14, and verses 1 through 6, we read, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. "'For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not, "'Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. "'And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. "'Who are you to judge another's servant? "'To his own master he stands or falls. "'Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand.'" One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. This is an unusual passage of Scripture there when it comes to just what exactly is Paul saying there culturally and contextually he's dealing with some very specific things within that church frustrations that they were having really around what boils to boils down to legalism certain Believers thought that they should be doing one thing, and others thought they should be doing another thing, and they were beginning to have disputes over it. And for those who were new to the faith, they were struggling with growing up in the faith and discipled in the faith and knowing what's right and what's wrong. And, and you know, the church we know has written the book on first and second opinions, and we really, we really stand by those things, right? We love to have our opinions and our beliefs on different things, but we've got to be careful about that. We've got to uphold the weak, no differently than, than going back to the discussion there of, of, of a pre-tribulational rapture, even though that's a bit more in depth, it's really coming down to the point of, hey, you know what? We don't need to get caught up in all of this. Let's just focus and keep the main thing the main thing. That's important. And these are, this is to be our heart towards one another. This is to be our mindset towards one another. Then he goes on, he says the fourth thing, be patient with all. Well, how about just some? Because some are easier to be patient with than others. No, it says, be patient with all, right? Be patient with all. This means really here that we are to have a long fuse. Listen, I have plenty of times where my fuse is way too short and I have to apologize for it. If it's like most of us, who who gets to experience that the most? Our families do. So pray for my family, okay? And we do it, right? I mean, I don't think I'm alone. Those of you, you you go out to work, you do different things. You've got, you you operate within a certain area where you're like, you know, I got to keep it together. And then all of a sudden you let it out in other places, right? But here's the thing. These are, every one of these is written in the imperative. Meaning that these aren't suggestions. What Paul is giving to us here in this letter, these are, these are commandments. Be patient with all, everyone. Furthermore, it doesn't even say here necessarily those within the church, but all. Moving on verse 15, he gives us the fifth thing, and it really ties together here. Really, we need, to, we need to have done each of these things so that we can do what's required of us in verse 15, that no one render evil for evil to anyone. Don't retaliate is what he's saying here. Don't render evil for evil. I mean, we have got to begin to really consider the example truly that Christ has given us. Let me fast forward us to current times. Again, let's take it back to just what we're experiencing right now. Take it back to a consideration of my message on Sunday. There is a, a fundamental necessity for us to be willing to pause, to be slow to speak, quick to hear, to listen, to understand, to empathize. And I continue to encounter too many times where people are really struggling. And I mentioned I mentioned this recently, like for us to recognize blind spots in our lives is to recognize idols in our lives, things that we are holding on to. And the stuff that's happening around the country right now, and the swiftness of people to kind of move past horrific events and focus on the outcome of some of those events and and focus more of their effort and their energy and their attention and their anger and everything else on on condemning all of the sort of ancillary things and not really focusing on the issues at hand is part of that. It's us holding on to different things, to different idols in our lives, Not being willing to truly be humble and consider the the person. We've got to go back to our example, which is Christ. Think of Isaiah 53, suffering servant. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. If there were ever a person in history who had every right in the world to say, you've got this wrong, this isn't fair, whatever the case may be, right? It's 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 Jesus. Yet, because of how He esteemed us, because of how He cared for us, He was willing to keep His mouth shut and to willingly go to the cross on our behalf. That, is our example. So when we consider what's happening today, there has to be for us as Christians, a willingness to say, Lord, help me to just have even a sliver of that humility. And listen, I've had numerous conversations with people since Sunday, okay? Multiple conversations, most of which, if not all, have largely been positive in terms of perception of the message and receipt of the message, and listen, not even necessarily people in this church, by the way, but other people in the community. But even within those conversations, some of those conversations, you can still recognize a fundamental misunderstanding and a blind spot towards the things that are happening today. And almost for some people, and this is maybe even independent of conversations that I've had, but no doubt conversations that many of you have had, almost this belief that, well, if we recognize this, or if we accept this, that somehow we're condoning these other things. And let me be more specific. I used this analogy on Sunday. People who want to be quick to say, well, what about looting? And what about violence? And what about all these different things? Listen, I don't know anybody who, I suppose I need to be careful how I say this right now, but I'm just going to say it. I don't know anybody who's truly in their right frame of mind who's saying all that is good and okay. But to focus our effort and our energy on that is to entirely overlook the very heart and root of an issue. And by us going, listen, I'm going to enter into someone else's world. I'm going to humble myself and just be willing to go, I'm going to put aside to the best of my ability, any biases, any blind spots, any missing, just all of it. I'm just going to try to humble myself and to say, show me or teach me or help me to understand or whatever, whatever the situation may require is not to say, well, now I, I just go ahead and I, I support all of these other things, right? Rest assured, as, as our country hopefully moves through this, there are perspectives, thoughts, and opinions on every side of the issue that rightfully need to develop and need to change. But that doesn't come without a willingness to sit together and go, let's talk and let's let's seek to understand, right? You can't go. I was talking with someone earlier today, and, and forgive me if this feels like all over the place, but I'm, this isn't in my notes. <laughs> I was talking with uh, a few earlier today, and listen, if there is a war that breaks out in this, in this world somewhere, and we see fit to say, I want to I help, I want to figure this out. You don't go into that area, you don't go into that nation, and you don't go to those people and say, hey, you need to just stop this fighting right now because it's bad and expect that that's just going to, oh, okay, well, great point. What are you going to do? You're going to seek to understand what's caused this, what prompted this, what has caused this violence, this war to erupt. And you're going to go to the heart of that matter, and you're going to seek to go, okay, let's figure this out. You're not going to focus on the the fighting first. You're going to go, let's figure out the root cause of this, and let's deal with it. But again, that requires that we come back to a place of true humility. And right now, there are a lot of people, I think, that are holding on so much to so many of their perspectives and their ideals and what they think is they think is right or wrong or feeling like, I, I can't accept this without somehow allowing this. Here's what I would say to the person who's truly struggling with this, and I don't mean this from a place of condemnation, but any unwillingness on our part just to truly shut our mouths and in humility, just be willing to go. I want to understand. Is to look Jesus in the eye and say, Your example isn't relevant for me today. My situation's different. And I'm sorry, but you can't convince me otherwise. Because if we truly look at Jesus' example, it compels us to say, Out of love, I'm going to humble myself so that the work can be accomplished. I pray that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. That again, this isn't about anything right now other than esteeming someone as better than yourself for the sake of truly accomplishing gospel-focused work in our culture today. And we have to be willing to do that. And we can't look at Scripture and the continual exhortations, the commandments to us as to how we are to live and go, oh, that doesn't jive. No, it does. Here's what commanded to comfort, to uphold, to be patient, to not render evil for evil, to always pursue what is good. And here's the kicker of that, both for yourselves and for all. It's real easy for us to pursue and to identify what's good for us, but is it for all? Now that's going to sound to some people like a real socialist sort of thing to say, right? That's where inevitably people take some of these things and where they have taken some of these thoughts from the church. That's not it at all. That's just because we're looking at Scripture through our worldview, which is highly influenced by a political system that is in many ways, in its shape and form, broken. We've got to look at Scripture through the lens of Scripture because this is what we're called to. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, well, here's your Here's your democratic republic system with two predominant parties. And here's how you're going to operate within that. That's why as Christians, we should feel so stinking uncomfortable on a regular basis in this world. As wonderful as this country is and as many incredible things have been accomplished in this country, we should find ourselves on a regular basis, especially as you go into November this year. Oh, God, help us to find ourselves going, how do I navigate this? We should be continually uncomfortable with what the world is presenting us with. And going, man, it's getting harder and harder for me to navigate all of this and to not seek to go, okay, I got to figure out how I can fit into it all and how I can reconcile it all. But instead to go, what, Lord Jesus, come to find ourselves even more going, I'm not of this world, Lord. Thank you for helping me to see that. Thank you for helping me to tear down these idols. You know, it's interesting from the time that this whole pandemic began, what have we been talking about? I've been talking about a lot. Idols being torn down. And the interesting thing is from the very beginning, it was the easy idols to topple. My sports are gone. Oh, Lord. The masters. What are we going to do? Or the masters. I love sleeping to the masters. You know, it's the best nap ever. I wake up at the 18th hole and I'm like, all right, here we go. Okay. So it was the little ones. It was the movie theaters. And listen, still, I thought the other day, I was like, let's go to a movie. And then I was like, oh. No, let's not. Those are the easy ones. But it's almost as if, and listen, I was sharing this earlier with the guys. We have God's active wrath and we have his passive wrath, okay? If God is sovereign, he's either doing it or he's allowing it. And so I don't do not hear me say this. Don't, don't, I'm not saying right now, oh, God's doing all this stuff, right? But it's almost as if God's like, are you guys, are you guys done yet? Nope, more idols, huh? okay, we'll just keep this going. We've got more idols to get rid of. I mean, I likened it to like, it's like, a, we're sometimes I feel like we're just like a toddler throwing a fit, just on the ground, kicking and screaming. And the parent's like, are you good yet? I mean, that's the way I feel because it's just like one wave after the other. People are saying we're on Jumanji level seven now, right? Like things are getting crazy around here. But that's because we're going, what is happening, Lord? But with every wave, God just topples another idol. But the wave we're in right now, man, these idols are holding on strong. They're holding on strong. But guys, I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it for us to let these things go. Not only for the sake of of what can be accomplished for his kingdom, but particularly in this moment, right now in this moment, for our black brothers and sisters, this is an opportunity for us to truly go, man, I need to let some idols go. I need to just be willing to let it go, to understand. And I pray that we can get to that place where we can all go, yeah, I get that. Let's do that. And so, I, you know, I mentioned on Sunday, we're going to have, it's been a process of having some conversations because quite frankly, it's sensitive, right? But we're going to start having some things, some gatherings here over the next few weeks and we're just going to call it Uh, listening sessions, opportunities for those who have come to me already and said, hey, I'm I'm in. I'll share. I'll I'll share my perspective. An opportunity for us in the church to go, you know what? I want to learn. I want to listen. I want to hear. And to come together and to just do that. And in time, rest assured, there will be an opportunity for every person to share their story. Because the fact is we all have a story, right? Right? It's part of who we are. It's part of what makes our testimony. But forgive me for saying this, frankly, but right now, for some of us, it's a time to just shut up and listen. The time to share your story will come as we work through this as a body of Christ, those who love one another. Because the fact is, all people, listen, all people are products of hurts, are products of present struggles, and are products of future fears. These are the things that really make us who we are. But we need to be willing to come together and say, okay, these are what those things are for me. And as we understand that, then to go, hey, praise God. We can truly, we've endeavored to keep the unity, the bond of peace. So he says, don't render evil for evil to anyone. Always pursue. And that's an active word here. It means go after it. What is good both for yourselves and for all. Romans 12, verse 14. I mean, here we have these constant exhortations. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. And I love that Paul brings it back to this. Listen, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, because how often can we say, well, I don't know that that's possible because it's dependent upon this other person. No, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our world is full of evil, folks. It abounds. But as much as depends on us, this is what we're called to. And take it out of our current cultural context and replace it and or place it in anyone. the words to the church ring true throughout the ages. this is what we're called this is what we're called to. He goes on then here, and this is where he shifts now to uh, at first it was pastor people relationship, then it goes into everyone within the church, and now it comes to relationship with God. he shifts here to the vertical. And he gives us seven more things that we need to consider here. The first of which he says, rejoice always. Oh, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Rejoice always. It means that speaks of joy. Joy unspeakable. Peace, which surpasses all understanding that allows us in the moments when we're not really feeling so joyful that we can still rejoice. How? Well, consider everything that Paul has communicated to them up to this point. You've got a Savior who loves you. He's coming for you. He cares about you. He saved you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. It's tough, but rejoice always, especially if we lay hold of Romans 8, 28, trusting that God works all things together for good. Even when those circumstances in in and of themselves are bad because of his sovereignty and his providence, he's able to work those things together for the good of those who love him and are called, then we can rejoice. Then he says, pray without ceasing. We've considered this before. Prayer is important in our lives. We ought to pray without ceasing. Does that mean we should pray nonstop, all day, every day, all throughout the day? To the best of your ability, go for it. But I recognize that sometimes you're going to dip out of prayer, right? And so that's not necessarily exactly what Paul's saying here, but rather just keep praying. What do we read about in in Luke chapter 11? It says, ask, seek, and knock, right? It goes on to say, you have not because what? You ask not. How unfortunate it is for the prayers that aren't answered because we're just not asking. And so as he says, pray without ceasing, yes, pray continually, pray fervently. That's elsewhere in scripture, but also pray continuously. Keep praying, keep praying, don't stop. So whether it's about a circumstance, a trial you're going through, a loved one, a wayward child, whatever the case may be, keep praying, keep praying. And in everything, this is number three, give thanks in everything. We know there is power in praise. If you know that he is on the throne, if you know that he loves you, if you know that he's working in your life, as tough as it may be, we can rejoice always. We can continue to pray and seek him and we can give thanks saying, Lord, I know you're at work. Thank you, Lord, for how you care for me. Affirm in this. What this does here is it affirms his sovereignty. Listen, I'm not an all out sovereigntist, but I can't escape what scripture says. I serve a big God who is seated on the throne and nothing is beyond him. I don't know exactly how all of that works, how his sovereignty and his providence and my free will align. We've considered this so many times over the last year, but I know scripture says what scripture says and that we should serve a sovereign God. And when I give him thanks, even in the midst of trials, I'm affirming his sovereignty saying, Lord, I know you're in control and I'm praising you goes on to say, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Go back to the beginning of the letter. Here it is again. This is the will of God. It's wonderful when we're told here's what the will of God is, right? And this is the will of God that we rejoice always pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. He goes on to say, number four, do not quench the spirit. There's two things we can often do with the spirit. We can quench it and we can grieve it. Quench it is like what? Quenching your thirst. I'm thirsty. I have my Gatorade. I'm not thirsty anymore. That's not what you want to do when it comes to the Holy Spirit, okay? Or similarly, if it's a fire, we know the Holy Spirit is a fire, is a flame, and you throw some water on it. Oh, it's gone. We do that far too often in our lives. We quench the Spirit when we what? When we ignore it. When the Holy Spirit's working in our life and calling us to something or, or moving us towards something or saying, hey, this is what you should do right now. Hey, you know what? This person needs you. Go pray with them right now. I can't do that. That would be totally embarrassing. I can't just walk up to this person and pray for them. Oh, come on. I want you to minister to them. I want you to go share the gospel with them. I'm terrified. I can't do it. No, I'm you run. You just quench the spirit. There was this flame burning. Oh, God's at work. He's drawing you. He's using you. He's motivating you. And you run away. You quench the spirit. We don't want to do that. The other thing we can do, though, is grieve the spirit. How do we grieve the spirit? Holy Spirit's going, don't do this, don't do this, don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do it. Here's your way out. There's 16 open doors right here. You can leave, you can leave. And we go, ah, shut them all, I'm doing it. And that's when the Holy Spirit goes, oh. And he's grieved. Here, Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. He goes on to say, number five, do not despise prophecies. So it seems as if whether there was something specific going on there, or if in general, Paul just knew, hey, we've got to be aware of this as believers. Don't quench the spirit. God is at work in your life. Practice listening to the spirit, practice being obedient to the spirit, and don't despise prophecies. What was prophecies in terms of what he was speaking to here? Uh, he was not speaking of uh, the prophets that are coming to town and saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. No, there is two forms of prophecy. There's foretelling and there's forthtelling. telling, okay? This would be more of the forthtelling. telling. Just really what this is, is preaching. This is those who are there preaching the word of God and saying, hey, you should do this. You should live your life this way. You should respond to this. You should take action on this. Don't grieve the spirit, etc." And what seems to be the case here is that there was probably because of some of the false teaching that was coming in, maybe a disregard for the teaching of the word of God. Which at this time would have been more of those people who are coming and sharing uh, what word they had. Goes on to say, number six, test all things. Hold fast what is good. Test all things. So as you as you refrain from despising the teaching of the word of God, you you receive it, you listen to it, test it. Be willing to go, okay, does this line up? So we're called as the church to go, okay, is, is what I heard today, is that truth. Hold fast then, as you do that, as you discern. Hold fast what is good. Hold on to the things that are good. And abstain from every form of evil, number seven. Abstain from evil. As he then begins to to close here, he, uh, he says, Now may the God of peace himself, verse 23, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. This is wonderful here. Once again, this is really proclaiming the sovereignty of God as he says, here's the source of your sanctification, the God of peace. May he himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, amen, we want that. And who's going to do it? He who is faithful, he will do it. Do you understand here, once again, let's consider for a moment, go back to Sunday in Matthew chapter 1, second part of the chapter, the incarnation, that there is a God in heaven, who loves you so much that he came and he died for you to reconcile you to a right relationship unto himself. And not only did he do just that, which would have been enough to just say, okay, thank you. Thank you for showing me mercy. I deserve death and eternal damnation, but you spared me from that. But in his grace, he said, no, I want a relationship with you too. I want to know you for eternity. I want you to be with me. I want to give you things. I want to bless you. I want to give you exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ask, think, or imagine. And I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to set you apart and make you holy at salvation. And I'm going to continue to work in your life, sanctifying you, making you into the individual that I've created you to be. If you will just let me, I will do that work. Do you know that God loves you that way? And so as we think about all the difficult things that we may need to tackle, all the things that we may be wrestling with right now, all the things in our culture that we look at and go, oh, Lord, is this a burden. And man, we can step back and we can just say, Lord, work in me or I surrender Lord, would you just sanctify me, set me apart, make me more like you. And we can trust it because he is faithful. Paul then says, brethren, pray for us. We need to be praying for one another. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss, unless there's a pandemic. Doesn't say that, but you can exercise wisdom however you choose. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. I love that. He says, hey, read this to everybody. I'm sending you this letter. Read it. Well, check that box. We've done it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and we need it. We need his unmerited favor, perhaps more today than ever before. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, I pray that each of us, myself included, Lord, would fall in love with it more and more each day. And through that, Lord, and through our study of it, more in love with you as we uncover and unearth, Lord, the ways, the depths, Lord, of your love for us. Father. Father. Thank you so much for blessing us. And we would ask, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of your spirit once again. Lord, we need it. We need your grace, Lord. These are difficult times in which we are living. Times that are not a surprise to you, but they are certainly difficult for us. And so we need you, Lord. We need you to lead us and guide us, to help us, Lord, to be the salt and light in this world that it so desperately needs. May the work of your spirit, Lord, uh, be mighty and powerful here in this church. May begin here, Lord, and spill out into this community, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly eBulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.